Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 259 of the podcast. It's August 9th, 2016. Today's episode is part two of a discussion I started with Steve Barra back in episode 256. Steve was one of the original 16 so-called Numi commandos that General Motors sent to go work with Toyota, to learn from Toyota in the 1980s, as was discussed in the outstanding book, Comeback, The Fall and Rise of the American Automobile Industry. Steve, uh, in his story, was featured in that book. So back in part one, we talked about his experience of getting started at NUMI, what he learned. Today, we're going to talk about what happened after his two years at NUMI, why he feared getting lost back at the regular old GM, what he did about that, what he's done to teach and spread lean in various industries over the past 30 years. And we'll also talk a little bit about his thoughts on the state of lean today here in 2016. So I hope you enjoy the episodes, uh, both parts. There are transcripts, if you're interested, on uh, both blog posts for the episodes, leanblog.org slash 256 or slash 259. Or, of course, you can find all episodes. Subscribe, learn more at leancast.org. So as, you know, Numi, I think it's fair to say very quickly, became a success story. Maybe you can summarize some of that a little bit. But, um, you know, the, the book, The Comeback, describes some of the confusion about the lack of a repatriation plan for yourself and the other Numi commandos. I mean, how, how would you describe what happened as, uh, you know, I mean, two years into the Numi experiment for you? For me personally, and I can, I can say this for all the rest of my, the, the, my partners uh, who are the commandos, that we had gone through a change each one of us, and a change in the way we felt a business needed to be run, the relationship management with each other, the relationship management with the team members, the relationship management with the union, and with our key executives. There was a, again, Toyota became the model for us to try to emulate somewhere else in General Motors. And the 16 of us would get together on a regular basis, usually once a month, to talk about what do we want to do with this experience when we finally have to be uh, to go back into the corporation? We were unanimous in our thinking that we all wanted to go back into one facility, whether that was one that needed change because it was not a strong performer, or a, a greenfield approach where we could build our own and have our own culture that based upon the, the values that Toyota had given us. Uh, as Every, and I think Roger Smith and Jim McDonald would come out on a regular basis and we would sit in the room with them and uh, obviously they would ask, you know, from a, a, a pulse check, how are we doing? And we all were so emphatic and positive about the experience that we would also ask the question that uh, when we were ready to go back into the corporation, we want to be able to be, have an impact upon General Motors. And unfortunately for the time that I was there, we could never get a uh, concurrence out of anybody or any uh, idea on what they wanted to do once our tours of duty were done. As, as time went on, uh, that started to demoralize us because we were worried about the fact that we were going to be sent back 
as individuals as opposed to a team. And as 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 my history showed, uh, I didn't finish my tour because I was concerned about for what I had heard that I didn't want my next 20 years in General Motors to be like the first 20 if I was not get this opportunity to use that good experience. Yeah. So at, at that point in time is when I decided to go off in a different career direction. What, I mean, what would you have anticipated if you were sent somewhere as a lone commando? I think I would have been swallowed up by the local culture. Uh, and I can tell you that uh, not everyone had a chance to be a general manager in a facility. Uh, you know, one of my very well-respected uh, team members out there, Larry Spiegel, uh, he was able to be a general manager at one of the facilities, and he, he was a, a zealot on uh, uh, the whole t- Toyota system, and mm-hmm. so uh, I believe that he was probably one of the few who were very successful in being able to uh, implement a lot of those concepts within the corporation. But that he it, it put him in the number one chair. Mm-hmm. He was the man, and I've always believed that if it starts at the top, right, and if it doesn't start there, and if it doesn't cascade down, and Larry would. Uh, in his career has always been one who would be the first one up front to talk about the value of what that uh, Toyota experience did for him. Yeah, as as opposed to um, being sent in as the head of production control. You would have been swallowed up by the plant manager and the superintendent and all the, 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 I guess, the prevailing ways of doing things, right? That is correct. And and my experience in uh, because I didn't go back to General Motors after I left, but because I've been in so many corporations, both domestically and overseas, I've seen those companies that have been successful in implementing lean uh, only because the senior, it may not be the CEO or the CEO, but I can tell you that we, the companies that I worked with, we had the endorsement and support of those chairs, but the uh, mission was led by more of the executive vice president, senior vice president uh, from the supply chain or from the mm-hmm. operations side. Yeah. Now, if it's okay, I want to take a, a quick detour because, you know, you mentioned um, someone that I was very fortunate to, to work under and, and learn a lot from, and, and, and that was Larry Spiegel. Um, you know, in my own, um, you know, you had two years at NUMI, I had two years at General Motors, but in my first year at GM in an engine plant in, uh, in Michigan, we had the very traditional plant manager management structure, but somebody at powertrain headquarters had decided, you know, well, we're going to hire people from these Japanese suppliers and, and Nissan. And, you know, we, we were sent this group of like eight or nine people into the Livonia engine plant. And, you know, they uh, maybe someone at powertrain had thought that these were going to be some sort of commandos to come in and help change us. But I tell you, I mean, and and that wasn't just one person. That was a group of of people. They were completely swallowed up by the existing culture. Um, They were uh, quite literally um, exiled to like these mezzanine offices that were like the far corner of the factory from the plant manager's office. I mean, the message was was clear and uh, in many different ways, you know, that they were not welcome there. And that the existing plant management, you know, they, they didn't know why they were there. They didn't want them. And um, it was just it, w- it was frustrating. But then after about a year, 
um, some, some fairly major quality problems and, and productivity was terrible too. Um, Larry was brought in as the plant manager, as the man at the top, and, and that just set things uh, in a very different path uh, for the people working there in the future of that plant. Because like you said, he was, I mean, I think in a good way, uh, you know, a, a zealot about this new approach and leading differently. But um, you know, the, the last thing, I was, and I'll stop reminiscing, was, um, you know, I, I traded emails with Larry a couple of years ago. You know, I knew he was teaching at the University of Michigan. And, you know, and I asked him a question I'd never been able to ask before, basically that the plant superintendent, the number two, who was still there when Larry was brought in was just the traditional yell and scream and blame and, you know, just kind of old, I would say, you know, ogre of a manager. Uh, and, and I asked Larry, like, you, you know, you seemed really patient with him. Why? You know, why did you tolerate a lot of that behavior and the way he kept acting? And he said almost exactly what you said a few minutes ago. Like, well, when I went to NUMI, I had the chance to go through a change and he never had the benefit of that. And I, I thought that was really interesting. It made me a little bit, uh, you know, I, you know, made me, I guess, a little bit more understanding or forgiving of, uh, you know, why it was hard. Yeah, you know, for for the existing culture to change, but but Larry really, you know, uh, had had a huge influence on me. It's hard to uh, understate. So I'm I'm curious. You know, I've been babbling here. What do you have any reactions to any of that? No, I think I think that, that, that you're spot on. It's um, it, it comes down to because so many of our organizations have legacy practices, and then we have people who have been around for many many years, and, and maybe in some cases everything they've worked. For in the, has worked for them in the past, mm -hmm. but if, if all of a sudden I think that we're in a different world right now. It's like change is something that has to be more imminent as opposed to long-term planning. You know, it's like years ago, and people you always ask the question, you know, what is your five-year, seven-year, ten-year plan? Well, there's no such thing as that anymore because yeah. of the way that the business climate is both domestically and overseas, the influences are so strong, you've got to be able to do something in the next 24 months, 36 months. Anything beyond that, you're going to come in second, third, fourth, and you've got to be able to change. And now we have people who, who aren't accustomed to change. You know, change is, is something that is the most difficult thing for all of us to go mm -hmm. through. Uh, and how do you do that? And you're right, whether it's um, without the NUMI influence, without working with you, without working with Larry, um, how do you get that individual? And I think that that's where mentoring comes in and coaching. And, and you know, I don't know if that the old adage about you can't teach an old dog new tricks, I don't totally subscribe to that to, to some people. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, there might be a percentage of those that will never change their, their habits or their spots and the way they manage. But I think those that... Um, as I talked about, you know, humility, as long as you can accept and open up your own kimono to understand what you're all about and where you have to change to go forward, uh, you, you can change people. Yeah. But they need mentoring and guidance. Yeah. And, and I don't know how much. Um, I'm, I'm sure Larry was was trying to coach that that number two. But, uh, yeah, uh, I'm sure that was a, a big challenge for him. Um so you, as you were saying, uh, you, you chose to leave NUMI and to leave General Motors. Uh, what, what 
happened after that? I'm, I'm, I'm curious if you can kind of summarize for people what some of those next steps were, what sort of um, things you're able to accomplish with that experience, having gone through that change at NUMI. Uh, for me, I was recruited out because at that time, you know, Toyota's involvement and influence in this country was in the embryonic stage of their uh, history here. And what I was looking when I got recruited out, it was they, because I had now a newfound knowledge and new some new experience. And you know, maybe I thought people thought we had the secret sauce. And I think we probably did. We, we had something that no one else in this country did, and that was uh, a, a reason to be successful in understanding that we could carry that torch and that banner. When I got recruited out, I was involved in consulting, and it was great to be able to go into companies that had never had an opportunity to, to talk about. Of course, back then, 30 years ago, it wasn't uh, lean. It was more just about TPS, but then... We had to transition away from TPS because of all the people who were upset about Toyota coming into the country. <laughs> you know, we had to transition into the just-in-time world, the world-class manufacturing, manufacturing excellence, and uh, you know, and the one thing that in in, in in Dr. Michael Hammer, who was instrumental in the BPR for business process reengineering, uh, we everyone coined the TPS environment as something new. But when you read the books and you dissected it, for the most part, it's all the same. Mm -hmm. But the one thing you can't do is, it's like any playbook. Playbook doesn't, isn't successful by itself. People have to pick it up and run according to what the playbook is all about. Mm. The hardest part, getting a discipline and accountability to what the newfound disciplines are to run your business. And... That was my challenge in consulting, to try to change people, change companies. And, and uh, the most gratifying one I had was when I worked three years with OfficeMax. I was brought in, and I was the only consultant brought in, and I was asked to help change the culture of OfficeMax. I spent three years full-time with these guys, establishing an internal consulting group. And to this day, uh, Office Max still has that same cadre of people. I think some of them have gone on to other assignments or left the company. But that same approach I had with Walgreens, I took to American Company, I took to Walgreens. And those that want it and have a thirst for it and are willing to invest in it, uh, it will change the way they run their business. Yeah. And, you know, as you were saying, it starts at the top. Were you getting to work with people who were at the top, whether that was a plant manager or a division president or a CEO? Everywhere that I went, I, that was part of what my uh, willingness to go in and help a company out was to work with a, a vice president level as the one who would be the sponsor. And there are so many times that I would sit in front of the senior vice president, executive vice president, the CEO, uh, the president of the company, uh, so they could hear and echo the same thoughts that I'm trying to expound upon through their organization. So I had to be sure because they had to endorse it. They had to subscribe to it. Otherwise, people are going to, once again, feel like it's another false start and we couldn't afford to have that. As you worked in other industries and um, especially as you know, you, you mentioned uh, you know, people in retailing, Wal Walgreens, um, Office Depot, you said? 
I worked with, well, uh, American Clip Company. I worked with West Bend Company. I worked with Bissell. I worked with, uh, of course, Harley-Davidson was not uh, retailing, but. But as, as you worked with these different areas, I mean, did, how, how much do people hit you with the whole, well, you know, well, we don't build cars here um, as an objection. How, how do you um, work people past that if they want to point out that, well, yeah, Harley's different and at Walgreens, you know, this is about health. It's not uh, about building cars. What, what kind of discussions did you have like that? And that's, that's, that is an excellent point because, again, I, I had the, the fortunate uh, career of being able to work in in various industries, and so to carry out uh, from one to another, right, not so much the product, but the challenges that I faced, and it, it became, was it a management issue, was it a process problem, whatever it was, but the first question you ask when you're going into any company is, what hurts? What are, what are you trying to resolve by having, whether it's a consultant or internally, that your KPIs don't uh, measure up to what you're trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. And I found that invariably, it, they would whether it's customers, it could be customer service, it could be a quality issue, it could be an absenteeism issue with, with people that then corresponded into other kind of problems within the manufacturing sector. But you're right, uh, you know, Walgreens doesn't make a thing. Wal Walgreens, a $72 billion company, and all they do is have warehouses all over the country and, it's, and their shelves are full of things. The mm -hmm. problem is that they were facing was, I, I can't keep product on my shelves. Mm. And so when you went, when I went throughout the, because uh, I had to establish a consulting team uh, within Walgreens at each one of the DCs, and at the time we had like 32 of them, uh, 